hello there, everybody, and welcome into episode 33 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnson from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. In this week's episode, we will get to a bunch of your guys' questions, and in our Shop Talk section, we will answer the question, if we could only take one crash to the gig, what would we take? Our featured artist this time is Mr. Narada Michael Walden. In the gear review section, Mike will be checking out the Ahead Switch Kick Quick Release Bass Drum Beater. And as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. March 16th, episode 33. Mr. Mike Dawson, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. We're a month away from tax day. Uh, really? Stuff. Have you done your taxes? Oh, I... I I don't even reference what t- I, I've, I have an amber. You should get an amber. You do have an amber. <laughs> I have a I have an H and R block dot com is what I. Have. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, no, I uh, I do not even mess with it because we, yeah, I don't want to get into it. But I, I really have a hard time with anything where I don't receive physical goods in exchange for the money. Yeah, it's it kills me to I I can't do it. So um, you don't yeah. count roads and water as you know. No. No, it's no. good. It, no, yeah, that's in the take it for granted category. <laughs> that is in the uh, spoiled brat category. So no, I do not. No, I, I we pay our taxes. We are very good about it. We do it quarterly. Uh, since we're you know we're our own uh, corporation, we we do all that. But Amber handles all of that, so I don't have to deal with it. But I can tell you this, guys. Uh, for any of you out there that are making the transition to becoming a professional musician, if you don't have an accountant that isn't extremely familiar with. Uh, with musicians and artists in general, you should definitely get one because it really helps when you have somebody that knows that depending on your performance situation that you can write off your clothing, your hair products, your tattoos, uh, any anything that's related. You know, Since I'm on camera every day for my job, there's a lot of things that uh, a, an average accountant just wouldn't know. So right. um, it's definitely worth doing. So tax day is coming up. What else? How's everything going with you? Gigs, it's good. Yeah, been a lot of gigs lately. I did a uh, my first. I don't know what the style would be. Sort of EDM kind of a gig last weekend. It was. The Is that first the one that time. you sent me the picture from? <laughs> yeah, the dude was. Uh, I mean, he he looked like your twin. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even the way he played, he kind of moved similar to the way you move. It was it was kind of nice. freaking me out. <laughs> Well, any- especially if you're at an EDM show and you're all hopped up on ecstasy and edible jewelry. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you would call it EDM. I don't know. I mean, I feel it's like such an old man, but it was definitely electronic based kind of down tempo pop music. Okay. Okay. Um, but it was the first time I've ever had to play standing up. Like, oh, this is the gig that we were talking about last week. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Privately. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I had to stand up and play basically a. Uh, Elisa's sample pad, a snare drum, a floor tom, a hi hat, and a crash. And there was no bass drum. The bass drum was actually in the tracks. Oh, sure. Okay. So the whole show was a half hour of no breaks. The click track was going the entire time, even when she was talking to the crowd and stuff. Wow. So I just had to play the show like straight down. We had like 45 minutes of rehearsal that afternoon. It was pretty oh, crazy. It's the first time goodness. I've ever done that, like have to like mesh with a backing track that includes all the drums. Wow. And how did it go? It went great. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. It man. went really great. That's I was just really subbing. Cool. So she's off to South by Southwest and performing down there. But it was a good time. It, was, it actually was like, I could do this. I show up with a pad, a floor tom, and a snare drum. I mean, <laughs> talk about an easy load in. Yeah. That's that. Exactly. Now you feel like a guitar player. Yeah, exactly. And the oh, pad wasn't even cool. mine. So I don't have to worry about that. Just a floor <laughs> tom, snare drum, and a hi hat. And I'm, I'm set. Oh, that's so cool. To be able to load in on one trip. That's, yeah, it was pretty that's neat. 
That's, That's a, a beautiful thing. It Good, was, man. It was it. stressful leading into it, but when we got there, it was, you know, she was like, I didn't even think about the drums at all, which is a good thing. It's like, all right, oh, good. That's great, that's <laughs> great man. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, well, good stuff, man. I'm headed down to uh, LA right after the live lesson today. For? Uh, for uh, Gretsch is doing, I don't know how top secret it is, but it's on the podcast now, but <laughs> Gretsch is doing like a. Uh, an, an artist hang video shoot for all of their new snare drums. Uh, uh, so it's going to be myself, Steve Froney, uh, Zach Danzinger, uh, Gurgle Borlai. Uh, who's the cat from the Zach Brown band? Chris Myers. Yep, Chris Myers. Um, so yeah, it should be it should be fun. And then I, I guess the goal is they're going to just kind of show us all the snares that are going to be coming out sometime this year. Uh, most of them were shown at NAMM, but we're going to just play them for a day and, and kind of pick our favorites as far as like, okay, if you got to pick one of these snares, what, which one would it be? And then they'll, I guess they'll videotape us kind of playing our favorite snare drums out of the batch. That's going to um, be a little weird for Gergo, isn't it? Doesn't he have a signature snare with Danette? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, and I don't know, I've never understood that whole thing, like how you balance that, you know, <laughs> right. I tried that a long time ago. It didn't work out well for me. Uh, DW was like, Hey, did you, do this or that and i was like maybe <laughs> like yeah you need to shut that down so uh but but gurgo's a, a pretty phenomenal player so uh maybe he gets away with some things that i don't but um yeah and, I, and i've played his uh his signature snare the the net one and it's it's incredible so but it should be fun so i'm gonna go down and do that i'm gonna drive down uh right after the live lesson and uh, and I, I do want to say that Gretsch was kind enough to pick up my flights and pay for flights and hotel and everything, which I did book for the 17th of next month because I got the month wrong. So Well done. Yeah. So now I'm driving. Now I'm making the seven-hour drive. Uh, so, <laughs> nice. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you want to like think about getting an earful from your wife on non-refundable tickets? I, I went <laughs> – yeah, it, it went big. So doing that, and then I, I got a chance to go down to um, went and spent some time in Menlo Park in uh, the Silicon Valley area with with Mr. Lou Montuli, the developer of the Groove Scribe, and we updated the Groove Scribe with some really cool features. And now uh, the ones that'll affect people, and we, we haven't launched it yet, but we're still testing it. But the things that'll affect like guys like me and you is when we were in sixteenth note triplets before, if you had two eighth notes in the 16th note triplet subdivision, it would show it as a, a 16th note triplet followed by two 16th note triplet rests. Yeah. Now it recognizes, oh, those are two eighth notes. We'll, we'll display them as eighth notes instead of 16th note triplets. Oh, great. Um, and if you just have the first one marked, it'll display it as a quarter note. So it's starting to display mixed subdivisions inside the measure by predicting it. And then same on eighth note triplets, if you're writing a jazz swing pattern, now it'll write that first note as a quarter note instead of a, an eighth note triplet followed by two eighth note triplet rests. Nice. So, so yeah, so we, we did some digging on that and then um, some other ways to integrate it into the new MikeSlessons.com, which is almost ready for launch. We'll talk yeah. about that later. But thanks for beta testing some of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, when is the launch? I don't want to talk too much about it. Yeah, we'll probably talk. I think we'll, we'll start migrating people over in about two weeks. Okay. And then we'll launch it in about three weeks. So when it gets closer, we can definitely talk about it. But uh, it, it is definitely a, a huge departure. Not departure. I just think it's the next evolution of mikeslessons.com and online drum lessons. So Yeah, I was definitely captivated. So I can't wait for it to come out. Cool, man. Well, let's get into some listener questions. I'm sure we have one or two. Cause <laughs> yeah, we've got the stack getting the emails. Getting- 
Yeah, it keeps getting higher and higher. And I want to start with some that has been here for a few weeks, so we're going okay. to keep pushing them off. So this is uh, Dan. He sent us actually like six questions, I think. Not a boy, Dan. Six questions. I'm going to pick the what I think is the easiest one for me to answer, um, which is number two out of the six. So this is Dan, Dan Lonsdale. He wants to know, how do you guys overcome the nervousness that must come along with playing drums at a drum festival or a clinic or in front of an audience of drummers who will be scrutinizing your playing, as well as in front of your peers and fellow players you admire who are on the same bill? Uh, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? No, go for it, buddy. Um, that's tough. Uh, you just have to do it, I think, is the first thing, and not be afraid. But as for something very specific, I actually, my dad gave me, my dad practices Tai Chi. He's been practicing it for probably 30 years at this point. When I went away to college and he knew I was going to be playing a lot of recitals and all this kind of stuff, he gave me a VHS set that was called, uh, I have it right here, Three Minutes to Power and Peace. So it's basically a three-minute Tai Chi routine that can either get you amped up or get you calmed down. So I just memorized the routine for three minutes to peace, and I did that like literally before my master's recital. Like the night of my master's recital, I went from having a final exam in jazz improvisation where I had to call out the chord changes of 25 standard tunes in 12 different keys in real time. Like oh we had goodness. to do that, and then a half hour later I had to go play my recital. Wow. So there was no time to decompress from that really crazy, strange, intense final exam where you know I'm playing drums and – the guy says, all right, all the things you are in F. And I had to like verbally say every chord as it passed. Oh and, then, and then we get to the end of the, of, the, of the form, and he'd be like, all right, now modulate up a third. And I'd have to do it again <laughs> in a different key. So that had my brain just, uh, just destroyed. But then I had to go straight down to the recital hall and get ready to play. So I just went backstage and did the three minutes to piece routine probably two or three times. And... I went out completely chill and had a great time. So wow. if you can find it, I don't know if it's still available. You might be able to find it on Amazon. It's three minutes to power in peace. It's just a three-minute moving meditation routine that, I mean, it's been crucial for me. Wow, that's really cool, man. That is really cool. And apparently if you need more, you just did it three times in a row, so it could be nine minutes to peace. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> after minutes three minutes, if you're piece. still kind of agitated, like, <laughs> let me just do it again, because it's not hard to memorize, and it's not right. physically difficult to do, so you don't need to be strong. You don't, you're not the one like yoga where you have to be flexible. It's just a standing, slight movement routine. It's really great. Oh, that's fantastic. What do you the only do? thing I would say, well, I, I think you, we've already covered it on the podcast, but it wasn't something that I was able to solve. I, I mean, definitely tricking myself into believing that those nerves were actually excitement. Um, that's just a mental switch that I have to flip. So that was one thing, uh, really studying Michael Jordan's preparation for the last you know, final 10 seconds of a game was huge for me. So anytime I knew that I was going into a situation where I was going to be playing a, a drum festival and there'd be tons of drummers judging me, I was constantly rehearsing that moment and visualizing it before I'd go to bed every night, like 20 times in a row. How would I walk on stage? How am I going to prepare for anything that could go wrong? But it, it didn't really solve itself until this last year with Russ Miller. Like I said, we talked about this previously in different episodes, but having Russ Miller just kind of sit me down and really tell me that, hey, no one on this festival, not even the great Dennis Chambers, is as Mike Johnston as you are. So stop trying to be everyone else and go be the best version of yourself, and then you have nothing to worry about. And once that happened, I just 
you know, I just started to realize like, yeah, there's a lot of little things I do that are very me that I, I don't even see my idols doing. So why don't I just start celebrating those things? And, right. um, you know, the, the one thing that really sticks out to me that was happening in that week was playing two, two snares that are both tuned very similar because it fit my technique better to play in an open handed technique for certain grooves. It was like, well, I, I don't need, I'm going to do this because I like it. This is this fits me, and I don't have to worry if Vinny ever did this with Jeff Beck. You know, this right. is I'm just doing it because I'm doing it. And so once I embraced that, you know, it, it really helped a lot. So so that's about it for me. Cool. Well, that's uh, hopefully that helps. I don't, uh, you know, good luck finding that VHS. <laughs> it might yeah. still exist. I'm sure you can find the tape, but finding something to play it in <laughs> is going to be a little tough. He's going to have to rub it on his flat screen. I still have a VCR DVD player in my living room. No, it's you a don't. Combo. Yeah, I do. It's, I'm, I'm not even listening anymore. I mean, I still got to listen, watch my Terry Bozio VHS, you know? Dude, you got your DCI sampler video? <laughs> Walk you through uh, solo Bozio. drums, man. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and the thing is, you can't copy. You can't transfer those old VHS over there. Copy protected. So, and and I don't want to transfer the little warp that happens at eighteen <laughs> minutes in, where it goes. Whoop. <laughs> I don't want to lose that. Yeah, good stuff. All right, the next question is from Jose Jimenez. He has a question regarding drum kit selection. Okay, so he's considering moving. Um, oh, he's, he's about to get a new kit, so he's considering a standard setup basically four piece setup but either a 22 13 16 or a 20 12 14 ah yeah so uh he's most often played a 22 inch bass drum that's 18 inches deep so he's concerned that he won't get enough bottom end out of the 20 okay. and the same thing with the floor time he's concerned that if he gets a 14 he won't be able to get enough bottom end so sure but the thing is he's gone from playing larger rooms to small 50 people clubs um and he's his playing style has shifted from indie rock to more Latin rock and fusion. Um, right. So basically, he's worried about losing low end with a smaller kit. So he wants to know what our experience is. And sure. We well, both have a lot of it. So Yeah, definitely. Let's refer to the smaller kit now as the fusion kit and the bigger kit as the rock kit, just so we don't have to name off the sizes every time. But I think that the the style of music is very important here. The fusion kit is going to fit certain styles better, and it will not. You're not going to be able to turn that 10 inch tom into a 13 inch tom for a Queens of the Stone Age song. So there is some limits there. Uh, but what I can tell you, as far as the, let's just address the low end of the kick in the floor. If you're being mic'd, no problem at all. That 20 will put out plenty of low end. Uh, it, it's not going to be quite as bombastic and have as much volume naturally. But if you're being mic'd, they can just turn the fader up. Uh, 14s, you can actually get pretty deep, especially if you use some muffling techniques on the top and bottom head. You can get them pretty deep and thuddy. So I think you'll be fine there. Uh, the hard thing would be taking the rock kit and trying to do a fusion gig with it. Um, you're going to have to really tune that thing up. And it's just even playing-wise, it's going to be a 13 and a 16. That's a muddy kind of playing in quicksand feel when you're trying to blaze your fusion chops. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I agree 100%, and I would also add the uh, the idea of you're used to a lot of low end, but if you tune your drums super-duper low and you're playing in clubs, it's just going to sound like you're hitting a paper bag. Yeah. So you have to, you're going to have to tune them up to get some projection, and you have to keep in mind that the perspective from the audience, they actually hear your drums a little bit lower than what you hear them because you're hearing all the attack right as it immediately hits you. But if you go 30, 40 feet out, the drums actually sound like they're tuned lower than they are. Snare right. drums especially, if you listen to a really cranked snare from 20 yards away it doesn't sound like it's really cranked so uh i would say the smaller kit 
agree, 100% is the way to go. It gives you more flexibility. Um, a 12 inch tom, you can get pretty low. A 14, you should have no trouble getting to as, as low as you need it to be um, without it without it just being so low that it just sounds like rumble anyway. Yeah. Uh, and also, I learned um, I can't remember his name now, but an engineer who works with Steve Jordan a lot. He, we were talking about the Keith Richards record and how because a lot of those songs involve him like riding on the the floor tom, like playing okay. the right hand on the floor tom. Yeah. And he said that that you cannot do that with a 16 and get the same like clarity and effect that you get from a 14. Mm. So he always uses a 14 in the studio. The yeah. 16 will just be like if they need it. Uh, so yeah, I think that's the most versatile. 20, 12, 14, go for it. Um, yeah. You know, I think it, you'd be happy. The the rock kit is going to be something that is amazing at what it does, but it is not as versatile as the fusion kit would be. So I think you'd be set there. All right. All right, let's hit one more. All right, one more. So this one is on how uh, etiquette of sharing drum kits. Oh. So this is coming from Andy uh, Beesher or Beesher. I'm not sure how you would say it. Okay. He is a 42 year old drummer who's been playing since he was 13. He's a gigging musician. Um, he's currently playing with a rock ska reggae band that has horns. And last weekend he, they played a show with three bands on the bill. It was a very very crowded small stage, so they all had to use the headliner's kit. Um, okay. So he wasn't able to really adjust the position of the drums or and cymbals at this show, um, and it would ended up being the most uncomfortable he's been on the kit in ever, <laughs> ever. He <Yeah>. says <laughs> ever. So he says the bass drum was too far away, the hi hats were too far around to the left, the cymbals were all janky, and on and on. He ended up cramping. So he wants to know how do we deal with the situation? Should he move the kit around and then put it back where it was? Or should he just do his best to get through the gig? Any pointers would be welcomed. So I want to go ahead and start and say you're looking for your best-case scenario. So the first thing, I mean, if you don't ask, you don't know. So ask the headlining drummer. Say, hey, dude, uh, this kit is, it's, you know, thanks for letting me use it. Do you mind if I move some stuff around? I'll, I'll do my best to put it back where, where I got it from. And if he's, if he's most guys would be like, sure. I mean, if you're going to put it back, he's, you're not, he's not going to notice that you moved it. Right. Uh, some guys are really particular, and they're going to say no. Well, in that case, I would say at least bring your throne so you know your seat height can be controlled. Maybe bring a snare on a stand so you can you know, do, deal with your own snare if there's any chance of swapping out gear. Because um, most of the time you can – I mean that's – I play on house kits all the time, and, and you have plenty of time to swap a snare out and swap a, a seat out and a pedal. Right. So do whatever little things you can do to make it comfortable. Uh, if – you know, worst case scenario, you just got to play, then I would say focus on the pieces of the kit that are in the right spots for you. And don't worry about hitting anything else. Yeah, so I mean, if, that that would be my advice too. <clears throat> you know, I mean, for me, right away, I would think about what, what the gig is. Like if it's a if it's a groove gig, you know, as long as I can get kick, hat, and snare in a comfortable position, I'm not going to spend time adjusting the guy's toms that, are, that look like Mickey Mouse ears. And he's got his giant twelve and his thirteen by ten. You know, I'm not even going to worry about those. It's like fine. I'm just not hitting the toms. The crash cymbals are forty six feet away from me. Uh, he's yeah. just trying to. You know, it's like I don't care. Let me just get kicks, snare, and hats in a comfortable position. I can stay here all night. Uh, but I think Mike's point is great. Just talk to the headlining drummer. See if he's cool. If he's a jerk, cool. Just get through the gig. You know. Yeah. And and don't take that attitude with you the next time that it's your kit and somebody else wants to use it. You know. Just think, how do you wish the situation would have gone down? 
because most most guys aren't too upset about you moving. It's more about you abusing their gear. Yeah. So if you just say, "Hey, just heads up, man. I'm a pretty light hitter. I'm not going to abuse anything. I won't. Even, I won't dent your heads. I just. I just need to move a couple things. Mainly, like you said, the bass drum was too far away, and the hi hats were too far away. Well, that's probably because the drummer is six nine, and yeah. you're five seven. So that I, I think that that's totally reasonable. <laughs> um, but the throne thing is a big deal too. Like you know, bringing your own throne with. That you can adjust. That that's about all you can do. Yeah, there's a good uh, example if you follow Josh Fries on Facebook and maybe Instagram. He he posted a video of him just jamming with Paul Westerberg at the, okay. I don't know I don't know where they are. Maybe a random rehearsal studio, and he purposely did not touch anything. So it, it's just kind of funny. The kit looks really weird and it sounds really strange. But right. sometimes you just got to embrace it and just yeah. like just show exactly. up and just play, and then kind of. You know, laugh off when you, you just whiff, laugh it off. Yeah, you know, when you exactly. whiff a crash, or you you know just laugh it off and just keep going. By the way, you crushed the uh, pronunciation of Josh Freese this time. That, that was really much better than last week. <laughs> oh, that's right. Last that's week freeze. it tripped you up a what little bit. What did I say? I don't know. Like I freeze. thought you said I think it right. I said freeze. <laughs> I honestly think you said it right six times in a row. You just <laughs> could, like in your head it was coming out wrong. It's subliminal, Josh Freese. Uh, Josh Freese. Josh freeze. Freeze. All right, guys. Well, thanks for your questions. Keep sending those in, and they are starting to pour in pretty quick. But we will get to as many of them as we can, and I have no doubt that sometime soon we'll just have to do a listener question episode and rifle through as many as we can. And maybe we can start putting them into categories, some that can fit in a lightning round where we have 10 seconds or less to answer it. Oh, that'd be cool. Uh, yeah, let's do that. All right, so let's move into a little shop talk. I brought I brought this up to Mr. Dawson <clears throat> earlier today just thinking if we had to bring one crash only to a gig and the gig wasn't specific yet, we knew it wasn't going to be anything extreme, it wasn't going to be periphery, and it wasn't going to be a bop gig, but it was just going to be a general drumming gig, uh, what would we bring? One crash. So first of all, do you have a main crash on your kit right now that's not even gig related? It's just kind of like that's always on my kit? Or no. do you just always cycle through? Okay. It's For me, I do. I always, since I'm not gigging, I'm always getting to pick my favorite gear. Uh, I have a 19-inch extra dry thin crash. Uh, Mino Byzance 19-inch extra dry thin crash, which is absolutely not the crash I would bring to the <laughs> random gig. It's a very specific, very artistic symbol. So I just want to kind of say that up front. So why don't you give us your pick for just general gig? Well, I have to ask another question. Are we only using one symbol or is it? No, no, no. You're going to get a ride, okay? A crash and a set of hi hats. All right. Well, then I would say um, some sort of 18 inch K ish symbol. So like okay. a K Custom Dark or a K Constantinople, 18 inch. I can crash it. I can wash it. I can ride it if I need to. And it's got enough bell that you could actually use it as you a secondary a bell. bell. It's thin enough so it doesn't get gongy, even though it's 18 inches. So that would be right. most. Actually, a lot of gigs I do is just a ride symbol and an 18 inch crash. Now, personal, you've are you since you have no endorsements and everything? Do you own a lot of stuff that isn't Zildjian? Like, do you have any Sabian symbols? Do you have any old UFIPS or anything kind of out there? No, let me think about it. I have no Sabians. I okay. have um, Peisty Giant Beat. I have a oh, whole nice. set of those. I have a whole nice. set of Giant Beats. I have a, I have a lot of Zildjian. That's just what I've always used. Sure, um, and I've got a. A range of of Turkish stuff, some Bosphorus, some some okay. Turkish, some Istanbul. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. So I don't cool, have man. any. I don't have any Minel or or Sabian. Not because I don't like it. I just don't. No, I just, just don't yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. No, totally. I, I have uh, I have no Zildjian, no Sabian, and I have a lot of stuff left over from Peisty, and then uh, I have my Minel stuff. But I'm, you know, I think you and I have kind of made it a, a pretty big point on this podcast that we're both just fans of gear. Right. So I love everything. Uh, so if I had one symbol uh, for the general purpose gig, it it kind of is. Uh, K-ish, but from the Minel line, and this is this is probably the symbol that I recommend the most to my students, which is the 18-inch Minel Byzance Vintage Sand Thin Crash. This is in Benny Grab's signature line, okay. and it's it's the Vintage Sand Thin Crash. Now he has the Vintage Thin uh, or Vintage Crash, which just looks like a sandblasted crash symbol. This one's different, and it has the bell is a different color than the rest of the symbol. So the bell doesn't have the sandblasting, and then the rest of the symbol does. This is just that all-around beautiful, buttery crash symbol. And like I said, I mean, this is not what I play, but it's more versatile than what I play. Um, it just sounds like a beautiful crash. Now, it is a little understated, so if you're trying to explode over the music, this is not going to do that. This really blends in well with the music. Uh, and I think uh, it's probably around the same price as what you were talking about. It's it's 300 bucks on, you know online dealers mm -hmm. uh, but uh, yeah I, I love that symbol man i i don't know if you ever got to test those out when he put those out or when mine put those out but pretty nice uh, no i don't remember i checked i checked out his rise i don't remember checking out the crashes sure. but yeah yeah and, I, and it's really important to be specific about the vintage sand thin crash because like i said <laughs> he made he has two 18 inch crashes and they're very different and one it's it's cool but this one is like oh man that's that is just pure butter when you hit it so wait so uh, All right. there, was, there was actually a question that came in related to this. I figured we should maybe just go through it. Well, I think the other thing we need to do is you need to send me one of your 18-inch Ks, and then we'll make some hi-hats out of Benny's uh, <laughs> the Vintage Sand Thin Crash, and then your K, and we'll make some 18-inch Minel Zildjian Love Hats. Wow, that'd be interesting. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, man. All right. <laughs> uh, you know, but then you know we're going to get letters from Zildjian and Minel like, hey, just make sure that ours is on the top. Like yeah, when you're exactly. videoing this thing, I want ours on the top. <laughs> That's the thing. That's the problem. You know, we're trying to share the love, and it just becomes a war. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. What, what's the question that relates okay, to Okay, so this it's stuff? a similar question. This is actually from my Ben, my friend Ben. Um, he's listened to the show, and, and he said it became part of his Friday ritual. But he wanted to nice. know what would be our choice for a general purpose ride symbol. Um, okay. So I know you you basically you designed yours. Yeah, uh, but it's definitely once again it's it's very specific. So I don't know that it would be my choice for the general purpose ride. Um, I do like that it's a twenty one. The bell is bellish enough, but it's not an ice bell. It's not going to cut through. You can crash on it. You can ride on it. So it, it works for what I do. But there's lots of situations where it wouldn't work. I think the hardest thing is is trying to define what general purpose is. If you're leaning towards rock. I would want something with more clarity than the transition ride. Yeah. Um, if you're leaning towards jazz, I might want something a, a little bit, you know, thinner and washier as one of my secondary rides. So, why don't you take this one? Uh, and that's funny. He asked this at the right of time where I'm. I'm really kind of researching and trying to figure that out because I don't. I don't think I own a ride that I. I could just take to every gig and be completely satisfied. Uh, but there are two that that. In most cases, I go towards one is a 20-inch Istanbul Mehmet Ephes medium ride. Okay. Just like a basic medium kind of K-ish sounding symbol. So it's got a good good articulation, but it's warm, uh, so it's not super bright. 
I use that a lot for like modern country gigs and stuff where I need a little bit more pingy sound. But for the symbol that I grab whenever I'm doing a gig where I know we're going to be playing all kinds of different styles, like from classic rock to jazz to, you know, whatever, you know, maybe some uh, Judas Priest. I mean, you never know what this guy might <laughs> right. call. Uh, I have a 22-inch Zildjian A from the early 70s, I believe, that wow. is just beautiful. You can swing on it and sound like Philly Joe Jones, but you can also kind of rock on it and sound like Mitch Mitchell or one of those guys. Sure. So, yeah, that's kind of a uh, a little secret is old A's are not that expensive, and there's a lot of them. So if you just search around online, you can find some of those really nice 60s and 70s A's for a couple hundred bucks. Nice. Well, let's let's. Uh, I'll leave that alone since uh, obviously my opinion is a little tainted with my own signature right. symbol. It's not fair. Uh, that's awesome, man. That's really cool. Yeah, wow. so that would be my choice. We have a few other symbol questions. We'll save them for later. Okay, perfect. All right, let's get into our main featured artist, and this time it is somebody that I saw a little. Uh, I saw you guys do a little article on him in the April 2016 issue of Modern Drummer, and that would be Mr. Narada Michael Walden. Now, the name is a mouthful for sure. It's Been around- Narada. Narada. Well, Narada. never met the man. <laughs> Narada. And that name, now just heads up everyone that wants to judge me, that <laughs> name is not, you know, that, that's not his birth name. That was given to him by a guru. So yeah. I, I did my Wikipedia. I know. <laughs> Unfortunately, they didn't give me the, the way to pronounce his first name. So Narada. Um, so he's been around, obviously, forever, taking over for Billy Cobham in the uh, Mahavishnu Orchestra. But... I never really saw him play that much, and then when we decided to you know, feature him, I went back, and luckily there's a ton of great footage of him all over YouTube, and I watched him solo, and first thing that blew me away was how double bass-centric he was in the 70s. I yeah. mean, yeah. like a monster double yeah. bass player. And then he had, it's weird, he has the hand speed of of maybe not quite of billy you know i don't know i didn't i don't get to see them back to back but i mean he has blazing hand speed but the technique is so different yeah. that i'm like where is i don't understand where that hand speed's coming from cuz he's playing in traditional grip but it's really kind of stiff like yeah. it doesn't have that fluid f- flex to it that you're used to seeing when somebody has blazing speed so it was it was really incredible uh so i noticed that right away now have you ever met the man yeah, damn shows and stuff. So nothing okay. more than just a casual conversation. But he's a sweetheart, and and he's he kind of epitomizes that goal where you want to keep your childlike enthusiasm for music and art and life. Like he just he plays like a child. He acts, you know, he just smiles all the time. He's very gracious. Right. So I I became aware of him because he played on the Jeff Beck record Wired. Wired, yeah. So and that, I. And- lead boots, that opening cut. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds like he's hitting the hi hats with a with a with a hammer like he's crushing the hi-hats absolutely yeah so that's a great one but he also if you want to get a good glimpse of his personality he put out a drum video a couple years ago called out of time okay he just kind of goes through his whole thing like everything that he's about and and minimal editing so it's kind of kind of jagged but in a good way right it's not like he's going for perfect performances he's just going for energy and it just comes through so for him it's like he's all about like just passion and energy and and that just turns into just monstrous single strokes around the drums. Like he just can't contain no, himself. He just starts yeah, wailing man. on the drums. And, and I, I mean, it. he can still do it. I, I was watching some Jeff Beck stuff with him. I mean, it was maybe 2011, 2012. So it was a little while ago. But I mean, it wasn't. He can still do it. Yeah, he was killing it. And yeah, you know, he he reached out to me about four years ago, 
uh, through social media and just wrote me the nicest letter ever just saying, hey, I just want you to know uh, I wanted to introduce myself and wanted to let you know that what you're doing is the future and I love your personality and just keep at it. And that was it. And I was yeah, like, that makes sense. Coming from wow. Me. Yeah, that was amazing. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, and I was like, wow, that's crazy. And I mean, going down the list of I was looking at the list of like, sing, you know, number one singles that he's on either yeah. producing because he produces, writes songs and then plays drums. But it's like. All these Whitney Houston tracks, Aretha yep. Franklin, Mariah Carey, Diana Ross. I mean, it's it's it just doesn't end. You keep scrolling. You're like, oh, now we're to Al Jarreau. Oh, now we're to the Pointer Sisters. <laughs> right. And it just keeps going and going and going. And then soundtracks, Beverly Hills Cop 2, License to Kill, Bodyguard. It, <laughs> dude, it's unreal. And then all this um, fusion stuff. Yeah, Jocko Pastorius, Alan Holdsworth. <laughs> J- well, I'm clearly on his Wikipedia page right now. <laughs> I don't know any of this stuff. I want to make that clear. I'm not trying to sound like a know-it-all. But it, it's it's just like mind-boggling like what the man has accomplished. And so it's really, really cool stuff. So I'm glad he got a feature in the new MD. And guys, definitely, sometimes when you dig into somebody with this much past, it can be really difficult uh, to track down what we're talking about when we're talking about their greatness, you know, uh, I know that for me, I was very thrown off early in my career by Tony Williams because his career was so massive. When I looked at when I got my first Tony Williams record, it might have not been the one that everyone was referring to. You know, yeah. it was just kind of like, oh, well, I I guess this is cool, but I don't see why everybody's making such a massive fuss. And then you get five other records and you realize, oh, OK, now I know where everything came from. So with uh, Narada. Narada, with the yes. Chronicles of Narada, uh, <laughs> definitely check out. Just go to YouTube and check out. Um, you can check out some older stuff. I would check out. Literally, there's a video called Narada Michael Walden slash Drum Solo, and it's from Mahavishnu Orchestra. And it's, I mean, he's just killing. And then there's a uh, one that just says Jeff Beck Drum Solo uh, from Sheffield, and that's in 2010. And it's another one where he's he's just blazing. So it's pretty cool that it spans about. 40 years and he's killing it in both videos yep and his dvd is called out of time definitely check that out for sure all right well let's get into some gear review stuff so this is something we brought up on the podcast a, about a month or so ago and we were talking about the ahead switch kick quick release beater and this is a bass drum beater that allows you to just like any quick release thing you can switch out the top of it to get different sounds and so i know they offer a bunch of different options to change the sound of your bass drum so do you want to just run us through that because you did the review right for yeah MD. i did i did and it it's designed to be easy to install and and very strong and easy to swap out beaters so if you know if you just have the inspiration to swap out a beater you just twist it half a turn and then it comes right off it kind of unlocks from the the metal shaft underneath uh, so it comes with a standard like two-way kind of dw style beater plastic and felt you know uh, that that sounds like a a beater it sounds fine but what kind of intrigues me about it is the creative possibilities so yeah of course they've got to put out the standard beater so you've got your two-way plastic felt you've got your round felt and you've also got the the big puffy fleecy one the vintage bomber style thing of course but then you can also put a brush or you can use one of those dowel rides that i love so much Uh, (laughs) dude that's not going away by the way (laughs) I see it on social media. I see it everywhere. People love how much you enjoy hot rods. <laughs> Just wait until I get my signature dowel rod sticks. <laughs> oh, man. But I mean, uh, but I think when you consider that as a bass drum option, that's kind of cool. Like that's, that's yeah. 
pushing the envelope somewhere where it's never gone before. Like we, Man, I, we just I assume a bass drum beater is just a has a to be boom. a beater. Yeah, just a yeah. round thing. I would love to hear one of those on you know an eighteen inch bop kick. Yeah. It's kind of tuned up, I and mean, that could be so cool. Yeah, that's how I tested it with like brush, playing with brushes with my hands and using the brush beater, and it kind of just integrated it all a little bit better. So <clears throat> I have a question. Um, well, first of all. Does the bass drum pedal feel any different when you put this beater on? Because it's obviously much more bulky, even though it's maybe not heavier because it might be a lighter weight, but it is a bulky beater compared to what we're used to, yeah. or the shaft is. Um, did, did the pedal feel any different to you? It did a little bit. It felt like, um, you know, if you, the, some beaters had those weights on them. Yep. It kind of felt like that. So all, all I had to do was tighten up my screw, my uh, spring a couple turns, okay. and it, it got back to normal. It wasn't cool. like – it didn't feel like it was in slow motion or anything. But it okay. just felt So within a, f- a few minutes, your foot figured it out. Yeah, exactly. I didn't even okay. realize it was different after after that. So the other question I have is when you switched over to the, the brush beater, <clears throat> since there's no hard surface to make impact with the head, does the pedal bottom out and hit the foot plate? Or does it stop? No, it well, no, because the brush beater is is longer than the others. So okay. the the rubber portion of the brush is actually about the length of a normal beater. Okay. So the rubber actually hits the head as if you're you know hitting the brush into a snare drum and getting the rubber to get that kind of oh, slappy sound. Oh yeah 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 yeah. That, that's so that's can, stopping the the pedal from going down any further. Exactly. So you can get that slappy it. sound by pushing that that rubber shaft into the head oh, we can okay. also you know feather it and get like the the light tappy stuff wow. you can't sweep it that'd be pretty crazy if you could do that's pretty awesome man yeah so that is what i mean again of course they have to put the regular beaters but i'm excited to see what other kind of creative things they come out with some really sure. just crazy off the wall stuff maybe something now, like maraca heads and things like yeah. that yeah Oh, that'd be killer. Now, I don't rem- I don't know if you would know this off the top of your head because I know you reviewed it for the magazine a while ago. But do you remember, was there any tone difference between the, the beater that it comes with, the solid plastic with the felt one side, that and then that hollow beater? Because I remember seeing that hollow beater at NAMM and I thought that was an interesting thing where it was a plastic hollow beater. I don't know if they sent that one to you. Yeah, that it was it was bright. It okay. was definitely brighter and snappier. Okay. Uh, I didn't really prefer it, it just, so it's not your thing but but it is different yeah it's i mean it's not like it's not like oh my god that's a whole different drum different sure but you can hear that there's a lot more snap and and it's a lighter it's a lighter head too so it's a little faster so it might be good for a metal guy triggering their kick that wants to get nice fast and and lots of clarity yeah exactly lots of attack cool man very cool awesome well um are we going to try to sneak in some sounds of this stuff? Yeah, yeah, we'll put it in. We'll, I'll at least demo the uh, the brush beater head. Awesome. Well, let's let's give it a listen. By the way, guys, if you get a chance to to try out or even purchase any of the products that we review, please feel free to let us know. You don't have to only send us your questions. We'd love to know your experiences, you know, using the gear that we've talked about on here. Because 
Mike and I are doing everything we can to have no bias here. I, you know, I never want to push only the companies that I'm endorsed by, which is a horrible thing to say right now because I'm looking at my pick of the week and I'm definitely <laughs> endorsed by this. <laughs> but but still, you know, we're trying to give you as unbiased of an opinion as possible. How, how is that a uh, bronze snare settling in? <laughs> <laughs> Such an ass. Uh, my pick of the week this time. It? <laughs> no, it's 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 actually fantastic. Um, I love it. Actually, I talked to Mark Giuliano about it, and that's going to be we're going to start tweaking that into what we had what we had been working on in the past. So, uh, oh, we're gonna so you're abandoning it. the maple idea. Well, we're gonna we're gonna keep that, but we're gonna make this, and then and then see. Okay, out of these two, which sounds more like a general purpose professional level snare drum. Yeah. Um, this, you know, if, if we're going to call it the, the Gretsch, you know, the, the name that we were hoping to go with was, is the Gretsch standard. If we're going to call it that, then let's have some options. So we already have the prototypes of the maple one, and now we'll get the bronze one <clears throat> that is not copper. And uh, we're going to make it a half inch deeper, so 14 by 5.5, switch over to the Brooklyn 302 hoops, and then take off that 42-strand uh, snare wire on the bottom and switch to a normal, probably 20 Okay. Uh, so we'll give that a go, and so I'll keep you updated. Uh, but yeah, guys, so anything you check out, please let us know. Now, for our picks of the week, I happen to be recently endorsed by this company, but that's not why I'm picking it. Uh, so my pick of the week is the Audio-Technica ATM350 mic. Now, this mic is a little tiny microphone that clamps on to your rim of your rack tom or your floor tom or your snare drum. You can also use it on trumpets it's it'll clip onto anything so you can use it on horns uh and it actually comes with a like a i guess a nylon attachment so you could even clip it onto a violin so it's it's Mm. a close instrument mic but what i really love about it is that it has a super super high spl so that sounds for sound stands for sound pressure level uh the maximum sound input on this is 150 decibels so it can handle a snare drum it can handle a rack tom and not kind of crap out on you the the reason why i use this uh not just for sound the sound is fantastic but the main reason i use this is because i'm filming everything and i i can't stand having this gorgeous drum set and these big giant bulky mics on my kit when i'm filming everything obviously for sound if i was in a studio i really wouldn't care at all you can put mics everywhere but these things don't distract from the education because they just are so small and they actually are protected with a a little bit of foam around the actual capsule itself so if you end up hitting it or when i have campers here and they hit my mics it's not a big deal i've never broken one the other thing that i really love is they are super cardioid and what i mean by that is they do not pick up any sound whatsoever from behind or the side so they are very focused microphones now audio technica offers a couple different options the one i'm using the professional model is and i've never understood this maybe you can help me with this the professional model is the atm 350 that's going to run you about 279 dollars and if you're just if you have a small kit that's not that bad it's a very professional level mic but they do make a 150 dollar version and this is what i was going to say you could kind of help me understand that is called the pro it's like the uh, the at pro why do people use the word pro when they're clearly talking about a worse product the b8 pro man exactly why the hell do they do that it's like wait a minute there's no professional in the world that uses this stop using pro is like a selling point it drives me nuts like could you imagine me calling all of my beginner lessons pro maybe it's supposed to be a b instead of a p <laughs> bro 
350, bruh. Uh, anyway, so uh, yeah, check out the Audio Technica ATM 350. If you need a microphone that just gets out of the way and sounds fantastic and is super, super directional. What is your pick of the week this time, buddy? Man, I just discovered a new drum hero this week. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine, his, he goes by E-Man. He's out with Andy Grammer, the drummer. Okay. Uh, he's been listening to the show and, and constantly you know, just reaching out and saying what's up. And he's, he hit me to this uh, Masterclass video series that Aaron Sterling created. Aaron Sterling, okay. Right. Aaron Sterling is probably one of five or six guys who do all the major records in L.A., and he's starting okay. to do a lot of records in Nashville now. So, I mean, he's – I used to think of him as kind of like the heir to Matt Chamberlain's throne. Okay. Like he does a lot of that kind of stuff, Sarah Bareilles and things like that. But he's he's his own man, and I, I hadn't given him a fair shake because I have so much reverence for Matt's playing. Like if I saw a record and Aaron was on it, I'd be like, eh, it's not Matt, so I'm not going to really pay that much attention. But I've totally missed it. He's a badass of his own right. He's on John Mayer's last two records. Oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Paradise Valley or whatever it's called. Yep. And Actually, that's, you know what? That guy is the – he is the Matt Chamberlain because I remember thinking like there's no way Steve Jordan would have played something this textured. Um, yeah. God, there, I can't remember what song it is. Um, anyways, it's on one of the new records and then someone told me like, no, that's that's not – uh, that's not Steve Jordan. Uh, that's Aaron Sterling. So wow, that's that's so crazy. Yeah. So just to go, he's on Rachel Platten's new record. He's on a Gunger record. He's on Glenn Campbell, John McLaughlin, Sarah Bareilles, Frankie Ballard, the country singer, Farner, Shakira, uh, Chris Christopherson. Uh, let's keep going down. John Mayer, Paradise Valley is the name of the, the yep. record. The band Perry, the huge record they put out couple years ago that's all him joseph arthur civil wars richie sambora another john mayer record born and raised selena uh taylor swift he's on red Um, wow specter uh more glenn campbell gavin DeGraw. so i mean i'm going back to 2010 natasha bedingfield um it's just kelly clarkson matt kearney um, so you just go down the list. David Ar- Archuleta. <laughs> Is that his name? Wow. Archuleta. Archuleta. Yeah. yeah. I, hell, I don't know. <laughs> so he's been, I mean, he his selectography on his website goes back to 2004. So he's been making major records for a decade, kind of slightly under the radar. The people who are in the know know him, but right. he's a badass. But the reason that I, the E-Man hit me, he did this master class. If you go to AaronSterling.com. Yeah, I'm looking at it. Yeah, Sound of Steroid. Sound of Steroid Volume 1. It's it's $80 to purchase the stream, but it is worth every, every cent of it because the first chapter is all about how to get the classic kind of dead snare drum sound. Okay. So he kind of just, he breaks that down, but at the same time, he... He's constantly offering little tidbits of, of of studio secrets and you know just philosophy. And he, when he plays, it's it's so reckless and badass. It's not what you would expect. Like he's got that Matt Chamberlain artsy aesthetic, right? But with like the attitude of a pit bull. Really? So he just kind of uh, goes for it, and he just messes up, and he's like, "Yep, who cares?" <laughs> That's the end of it's that. Kill him. It's killing me right now because like I've got it on my screen. The play button is right in front of me, but because we're recording this, I can't press play. 
And like you keep like hyping it up, and I just want to press play. Like <laughs> I can't wait for this thing to be over so I can I can check this out. This yeah, is so cool. There's eight chapters. The second one is all about the snare drum sound on the John Mayer song "Queen of California," which is he he likens it to trying to replicate an 808, a Roland 808 electronic oh, snare okay. sound. Sure. So he uses an actual drum to get that sound. He talks about the big, wide open, ringy snare drum sound. One of my favorite chapters, he takes a, a piece of garbage snare and just tries to find some inspiration in it by tuning it in differently and playing it with different stuff. I mean, the snare dump sounds like crap, but he manages to get it to sound pretty pretty sweet. Then there's some stuff about, you know, some drummy stuff about the inverted paradiddles and his approach to playing 16th notes on the hi-hat. And then if you really want to you know, be blown away, check out the chapter on Keith Jarrett where he improvises along with a Keith Jarrett solo piano record. And it is fantastic. It sounds like he's actually in a room with Keith Jarrett improvising. I mean, it's really? it's amazing. And, and the video ends with him going through a full-on recording session with Gunger. And to see that guy lay down a take, I mean, he is a monster. The way he tracks drums is just, it is no joke, some of the best stuff <laughs> I've ever I'm heard. I'm really excited about this. And then, so... The one question I had was, how is it? Is it filmed well? Is it just full on? Is it just GoPros and? It might be, and I'm actually going to talk to him and ask him about that. It might be, but it has like the visual vibe of Steve Jordan's video. Okay. So there's an overhead camera. There's a couple different angles out front. Some of it's a little bit distorted and bounces when he hits the bass drum a little bit, but it it doesn't feel homemade. It's definitely a piece of art that. So they did this on purpose. That's, yeah. I guess that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, cool. everything, everything about him is, is intention and just being unique and creative and also just being a, a, a badass drummer. So that's my pick. I've been obsessed. I think I've watched this thing six or seven times already, start to finish. Really? Yeah, I mean, it's It's, it's two and a half my, hours. Yeah. I mean, he, he talks about the drumming and then he talks about the studio side of it, which is, you know, I'm a nerd for that, about how he EQs the, the different sounds and compresses them and stuff. That's cool. That's awesome. So yeah, eighty bucks. Uh, AaronSterling dot com. That's A A R O N S T E R L I N G dot com. And then when you get to his website, uh, just click on Masterclass. Masterclass. Yeah. So if you want to, if you want to kind of get a sample of him before you make this purchase, definitely follow him on Instagram because he's posted some really awesome fifteen second drum videos on there. Like, cool, amazing, and. And you can also YouTube uh, Sugar Percussion, which is a snare drum company. Well, it's a drum company, but they make some snare drums we reviewed a few months back. And he did a series of demo videos for them, so you can kind of oh, nice. you can kind of see him play for a few minutes, you know, for free. And I, hopefully, you'll get you know so let's see what I saw, which is this guy with an incredible taste, with also just a no holds barred attitude as a drummer. That's cool, man. Well, it yeah. looks like uh, we had two featured drummers this time. Yeah, uh, we yeah. gave him. I, I was gonna say like we should totally feature him, and then I'm like, I think we just did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, that's awesome. Well, I'll definitely check this thing out. I'll purchase it, and then uh, maybe I can give it a review in the next couple weeks. So sounds good. Awesome. All right, buddy. Well, I'm off to. I'm gonna do a live lesson today. Is jazz soloing rolling in triplets hey um, all right and i mean i think everybody when they think of jazz their first thought is mike johnston so uh <laughs> actually it's been an entire week of jazz lessons on mikeslessons.com on the live stuff and the whole goal was saying look i'm not a jazz guy and i still had to learn this stuff and my drumming grew so much from it so you yeah. don't have to be you don't have to love it um i use this all the time i mean and the crazy thing is a beginning jazz lesson 
is an advanced drum lesson yeah. because the independence yeah. required is incredible. So today, you know, just doing the rolling and triplets thing will help hopefully a lot of our students and how they apply it is totally up to them. Yeah, I've thought and about then, that a lot as far as because I come from a jazz background, so I feel like I'm biased. But right. I don't think if you study extreme heavy metal, you'll get the same out of it as if you studied one Miles Davis record. As far as something that will yeah. affect your entire approach to the instrument. Yeah. You're learning about touch, you're learning about feel, you're learning about vocabulary, improvisation. Whereas if you're Oops. transcribing like some extreme metal, you kind of learn that, but you don't. how do you apply that to other stuff? Yeah, I mean, and I, the other thing too that you learn when studying, like you said, a, a, any Miles Davis record or anything like that, that really from the cool jazz period that has some of that West Coast jazz openness to it. Some Some jazz records are a little too dense. I wouldn't want, you know... If my student had never heard jazz and they're like, yo, I just bought this Terrence Blanchard record and it's like, oh, and, and Willie Jones III is going crazy. I'm like, well, yeah. that's amazing. But but when you listen to you know some of the cool jazz stuff that came out of the West Coast and you – I think it also teaches you about your instrument because you get to hear the ride cymbal sustain for a while. And then you yeah. try to do it on your kit and you can't make it sound like that. And you – and then you also get the freedom, you know, especially for people, usually their first Miles Davis record is kind of blue, and they get the freedom to play quarter notes and not have to play the swing pattern the whole time. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I think there's a lot to be to, to be learned in that. And I think definitely one thing that we should cover in the next couple episodes would be what is the album that taught us the most about drumming? Mm. Because definitely it's not my favorite drum album, for sure. Um, I learned... Wow. I learned way more about the approach to drum fills from uh, Face Value by Phil Collins than I ever did from a drum-heavy album. You know? Yeah, yeah. I don't so, know how I could answer that. That'll take some thought. That's a good that one. just got you stumped. All <laughs> right. Well, everybody, thanks so much for listening to us. Please give us a uh, rating and give us a review wherever you listen to this podcast. The reason why is it helps other people be able to find this podcast and other drummers, and we want to help them with their drive to and from work. Be your compadre. But for now, it is time for me and Mr. Dawson to say goodbye. Adios. <laughs>